Chapter 2 of the Jesuits in North America. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Penfold. The Jesuits in North America in the 17th Century by Francis Parkman. Chapter 2 Loyola and the Jesuits. It was an evil day for newborn Protestantism when a French artilleryman fired the shot that struck down Ignatius Loyola in the breach of Pampeluna. A proud noble, an aspiring soldier, a graceful courtier, an ardent and daring gallant was metamorphosed by that stroke into the zealot whose brain engendered and brought forth the mighty Society of Jesus. His story is a familiar one how in the solitude of his sick-room a change came over him upheaving like an earthquake all the forces of his nature how in the cave of manresa the mysteries of heaven were revealed to him how he passed from agonies to transports from transports to the calm of a determined purpose the soldier gave himself to a new warfare in the forge of his great intellect heated but not disturbed by the intense fires of his zeal was wrought the prodigious enginery whose power has been felt to the uttermost confines of the world loyola's training had been in courts and camps of books he knew little or nothing he had lived in the unquestioning faith of one born and bred in the very focus of romanism and thus at the age of about thirty his conversion found him it was a change of life and purpose not of belief he presumed not to inquire into the doctrines of the church it was for him to enforce those doctrines, and to this end he turned all the faculties of his potent intellect and all his deep knowledge of mankind. He did not aim to build up barren communities of secluded monks, aspiring to heaven through prayer, penance, and meditation, but to subdue the world to the dominion of the dogmas which had subdued him, to organize and discipline a mighty host, controlled by one purpose and one mind, fired by a quenchless zeal, or nerved by a fixed resolve, yet impelled, restrained, and directed by a single master hand. The Jesuit is no dreamer, he is emphatically a man of action. Action is the end of his existence. It was an arduous problem which Loyola undertook to solve to rob a man of volition, yet to preserve in him, nay, to stimulate those energies which would make him the most efficient instrument of a great design. To this end the Jesuit novitiate and the constitutions of the order are directed. The enthusiasm of the novice is urged to its intensest pitch. Then, in the name of religion, he is summoned to the utter abnegation of intellect and will in favor of the superior, in whom he is commanded to recognize the representative of God on earth. Thus the young zealot makes no slavish sacrifice of intellect and will, at least so he is taught, for he sacrifices them not to man, but to his maker. No limit is set to his submission. If the superior pronounces black to be white, he is bound in conscience to acquiesce. Loyola's book of spiritual exercises is well known. In these exercises lies the hard and narrow path which is the only entrance to the society of Jesus. The book is, to all appearance, a dry and superstitious formulary, but in the hands of a skillful director of consciences it has proved of terrible efficacy. The novice in solitude and darkness, day after day and night after night, ponders its images of perdition and despair. 
He is taught to hear, in imagination, the howlings of the damned, to see their convulsive agonies, to feel the flames that burn without consuming, to smell the corruption of the tomb and the fumes of the infernal pit. He must picture to himself an array of adverse armies, one commanded by Satan on the plains of Babylon, one encamped under Christ about the walls of Jerusalem, and the perturbed mind, humbled by long contemplation of its own vileness, is ordered to enroll itself under one or the other banner. Then, the choice made, it is led to a region of serenity and celestial peace, and soothed with images of divine benignity and grace. These meditations last without intermission, about a month, and, under an astute and experienced directorship, they have been found of such power that the manual of spiritual exercises boasts to have saved souls more in number than the letters it contains. To this succeed two years of discipline and preparation, directed, above all things else, to perfecting the virtues of humility and obedience. The novice is obliged to perform the lowest menial offices and the most repulsive duties of the sick-room and the hospital, and he is sent forth, for weeks together, to beg his bread like a common mendicant, he is required to reveal to his confessor not only his sins, but all those hidden tendencies, instincts, and impulses which form the distinctive traits of character. He is set to watch his comrades, and his comrades are set to watch him. Each must report what he observes of the acts and dispositions of the others, and this mutual espionage does not end with the novitiate, but extends to the close of life. The characteristics of every member of the order are minutely analyzed and methodically put on record. This horrible violence to the noblest qualities of manhood, joined to that equivocal system of morality which eminent casuists of the order have inculcated, must, it may be thought, produce deplorable effects upon the characters of those under its influence. Whether this has been actually the case, the reader of history may determine. It is certain, however, that the Society of Jesus has numbered among its members men whose fervent and exalted natures have been intensified, without being abased, by the pressure to which they have been subjected. It is not for nothing that the Society studies the character of its members so intently, and by methods so startling. It not only uses its knowledge to thrust into obscurity or cast out altogether those whom it discovers to be dull, feeble, or unwilling instruments of its purposes, but it assigns to every one the task to which his talents or his disposition may best adapt him, to one the care of a royal conscience, whereby, unseen, his whispered word may guide the destiny of nations, to another the instruction of children, to another a career of letters or science, and to the fervent and the self-sacrificing, sometimes also to the restless and uncompliant, the distant missions to the heathen. The Jesuit was, and is, everywhere in the schoolroom, in the library, in the cabinets of princes and ministers, in the huts of savages, in the tropics, in the frozen north, in India, in China, in Japan, in Africa, in America. Now as a Christian priest, now as a soldier, a mathematician, an astrologer, a Brahmin, a Mandarin, under countless disguises, by a thousand arts, luring, persuading, or compelling souls into the fold of Rome. Of this vast mechanism for guiding and governing the minds of men, this mighty enginery for subduing the earth to the dominion of an idea, this harmony of contradictions, this moral proteus, the faintest sketch must now suffice. A disquisition on the society of Jesus would be without end. 
no religious order has ever united in itself so much to be admired and so much to be detested unmixed praise has been poured on its canadian members it is not for me to eulogize them but to portray them as they were end of chapter two recording by mark penfold lincoln nebraska